And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. On the phone line with us today is Dr. Vern Poitras. He's professor at Westminster Theological Seminary in Philadelphia. Dr. Poitras, it's an honor to have you on with us today. Thank you for inviting me. You have authored many books, and one of the books that caught my eye, I have up here on the computer screen, it's called uh, The Lordship of Christ, Serving Our Savior All of the Time, In All of Life, With All of Our Heart. I love that title, and I love, I think, what the implications of that title are. So um, maybe to get us started, um, tell us a little bit about your book that you've written here, and maybe you could take it from there. Okay, well, it should be obvious from the title. I'm a, a follower of Christ myself. I'm a Christian believer. And the title says quite a bit that I want to say in the book itself, because Christ is already our Savior before we begin to serve him. You know, one of the basic things about the Christian faith is realizing that our works are not the basis of our salvation, but they flow out of a salvation that Christ has accomplished in history and then works in us through the work of the Holy Spirit, who comes to indwell us as we place our faith in Christ. So those basic truths of who God is, what he's done in Christ, what that means for us, that has to be the foundation for everything else. Otherwise, people's attempts to serve Christ, I mean, there can be people in or members of a Christian church, but are still trying to earn their salvation to prove to God that they're good enough to be saved, and that's a complete reversal of the path that God has given us in Christ, where he is the way and the truth and the life. But when we come to know Christ and what he's done, then we begin to love him. And out of that love and out of the power of the Holy Spirit who indwells us, then we begin actually to serve him. And we put in effort to do that. There's these pictures in the Bible a farmer, an athlete, of strenuous effort not to achieve a salvation which we climb up to, but to serve the God that we love. So that that's the starting point that I want people to have. But the other side of the book is to develop what are the implications, because there's pressure from the culture to say, you can go to church on Sunday, you can have your private fellowship with God in your own heart if you think God exists, right? Because this culture is, yeah. many people are skeptical of that. They'll say, you know, that's all right. But then when you step out of those private areas into the realm of work, of leisure, of entertainment, of politics, of science, all of these other areas, then you've got to do things the same way everybody else does. And I do not accept that because I think the Bible does not accept that. <laughs> because yeah. we're to be serving Christ in every area of life. But the pressure is on, if we don't resist it, we're going to be pressured into thinking and then doing that same kind of mentality. 
Yeah. Your book is uh, broken into parts, um, part one, two, and three, and four, by the looks of it. In part one, under the call to serve Christ, you talk about being radically Christian. Um, That's tied to the Lordship of Christ, isn't it? It is, because when we confess that Jesus is our Savior, we recognize also that he is our Lord, right? He is God, but also he is like a master, a kind master, a loving master, but still one that we are obliged to obey. And that's that's already pretty radical because, you know, the, again, the culture around us is about everybody finding himself and obeying uh, whatever the deepest impulses in his own heart. Right? It's not directed to God any longer. It's as if the self has become uh, the final idol. So to be radically Christian is just to grow in that understanding of the fact this is what God has made us for. You know, it's not alien to us. It's not something that's going to frustrate who we really are. But rather we discover ourselves in discovering God and his plan for are relating to him. Yeah. And and that may mean that we're not very successful in this world by the world's eyes, because God cares about the personal relationship that he has with us and who we are as persons and not sort of how many bucks do we make or how famous do we become or whether our world our work is significant. We meet my wife and I meet quite a few Christians who are serving in hospitals. And it makes sense because hospital is a great place to serve other people, right? Love your neighbor. (laughs) And that's what these people are doing. And they're functioning in all kinds of capacities, including the people who are cleaning the rooms and who are cleaning the halls, you know, and that kind of thing. Well, that, nobody notices those people, but God notices what they're doing. Yeah, uh, for sure. Um, Somebody might say, you know, at the beginning here, we're talking about the foundational things. Someone who maybe hasn't really read the Bible, doesn't really understand it, they might object, say, well, Christ doesn't really rule over all things, does he? (laughs) Well, he does. (laughs) And, uh, but of course, it's an invisible rule. You know, if I'm talking to somebody who's not acquainted with the Bible, Right then, there's a lot of pieces that have to go in. Beginning again, when I'm thinking of you know uh, the surrounding mainstream culture, people have lost much of the conception of the Christian God, the God whom the Bible describes. So you really have to start back and saying, look, there is one God who always existed, one God in three persons. If you want to become really explicit. This God created the whole world, created every human being on the face of the world, rules the world comprehensively today. Now, that's true of the Father and of the Son, who is, of course, Christ. We've got him incarnate, and we know him as Jesus Christ. But he existed forever with the Father and the Spirit. And it's true of the Spirit, all three persons, one God ruling over all things for all time. Right? So that's a comprehensive rule. But then Christ became incarnate and suffered and died, but he rose from the dead. Now, the language of the Bible is that he's seated at the right hand of God the Father. 
Now, that's a statement not only about his rule as God, but now as our Redeemer, as the one who's raised from the dead, that he's ruling all things. It's invisible, just like the rule of God is invisible, although the effects are visible, right? So when God divides the waters of the Red Sea for the people of Israel to pass through, God himself remains invisible in his majesty, uh, but he's also, in a sense, made himself visible through the effects in the world. Yeah. And and so that's that's continuing. Yeah, I was going to say, that's really important. Um, someone might have a, a problem with saying, well, he reigns, but he's invisible. But we accept invisible things all the time. Um, I, I studied electrical engineering. Electricity is invisible. But we definitely see the effects of it. Um, I look outside today, we've got some wind, and I can't see the wind, but I can see the effect of it. And uh, even human love, I I cannot see uh, into a person's heart, but we can definitely see and feel uh, that emotion as it gets uh, lived out uh, in our loved ones, in our spouses, children, etc., so uh, this thing of being invisible, um, it's not a cop-out. It's just the way <laughs> God works. It's the way he is. Well, I agree. And I think that whole, your examples can be actually extended into science and mathematics, which have you know tremendous prestige in mainstream culture. But scientific laws are actually invisible. Two plus two is equal to four. We can write it down, yeah. right? And, visible ink, but the numerical truth is not the the ink. Right? <laughs> it's something that was true before anybody wrote it down. So it's an invisible truth. Scientific law is law of gravity is invisible, but its effects are visible in terms of if you drop something, it'll fall. So, yeah. so there's everybody relies on invisible things. Oh, yeah, it's so true. Now, um, we're running out of time fast already. I, I wanted to get into this areas of service, um, part three of your book. And I want to approach this uh, using some of the words from your book, because I, I did find this part online. And that is um, this idea of Adam, uh, given the uh, what is sometimes called the dominion mandate, and how that ultimately, that is fulfilled in Christ— and we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to live under Christ's rule, and and yet he does it all. Um, someone might go away from that and say, well, does that mean now, since it's fulfilled in Christ, we have no responsibility at all? They might misunderstand that. Could you, could you help us understand this a little bit more? Well, there are two phases to the universal rule of Christ. He's established over all authority and power, even now. And in a sense, his resurrection from the dead is the beginning of the end because he's conquered death itself, and death is the last enemy. And yet there are still things under that accomplished achievement, there are still things to be worked out. And some of those things he works out through his servant. Sure. Now, we can understand that very clearly, for instance, if we think about the spread of the gospel and people coming under the Lordship of Christ and experiencing his love and his allegiance as they come to hear and believe the gospel. How do they hear and believe? Does Christ speak directly with 
them from heaven. No, he uses human agents, right? He uses the Apostle Paul, he uses modern preachers, he uses ordinary people to do it. And you could say, well, you know, why do we need to do that? (laughs) Isn't God in control? Can't God save people even without our instrumentality? Well, I believe he can, but he's chosen. He's chosen to honor us in a sense, because it's something we didn't deserve. Yeah. And it's something we can't take credit for because it's his power working in us. I can't save anybody by telling them the gospel, right? God has to open their heart as he opened Lydia's heart in the book of Acts. Yeah. So God uses us instrumentally, if it will. And of course, it's Christ. It's Christ who's bring himself in the gospel. It's not just the Father. And it's the Holy Spirit at work. Well, the same is true in terms of Christ's lordship over the whole world. It's not simply establishing the new people who recognize Christ as Lord, but working out his rule in our work, in our leisure, in our families, in science, in art. And um, this part that you refer to, I attempt to build on and update a book written, oh, over a century ago by Abraham Kuyper called Lectures on Calvinism. Oh, yes. The title doesn't really do it, but he's showing how the Lordship of Christ ought to work out in all kinds of areas. And people, again, they think, oh, well, that's for when you go to church, right? So he's having to show the way in which it ought to transform our understanding and work in art, science, politics. He goes through a number of areas, chapter by chapter. Yeah, that's very helpful. And and I think uh, people, um, we, we just need to remind ourselves that whatever uh, gets accomplished in this world, you know, prior to the eschaton, uh, will be imperfect, but... Neither is that an excuse for for doing nothing. <laughs> uh, you gave the example earlier of hospitals. It's a wonderful example, uh, is it not, of uh, the reign of Christ getting fleshed out in this world, actually helping his creation, and we are the proximate means carrying out uh, his will of, you could say, dominion, I guess. Yes. Now, uh, what about other areas. You hinted at this idea of people looking on saying, well, you know, you can be a Christian, you can believe whatever you want, but just just, just go to church and be quiet. You know, you, 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 don't, you don't have to bother us here in terms of uh, our civil code, let's say, or how we are to practice justice. Let's say there is a theft in the community. How should we respond to this? Um, and yet, I think you would say, no, uh, the Lordship of Christ affects that area in some way also. There, there's, there's, there's such a thing as, a, let's say, a judge who is informed by the righteousness of, of God's moral law. Right, yeah, and that's a good example. You know, when you talk of that thing, I think it, uh, those things, I think it is so important to recognize Christ is universal Lord over every sphere of life, not just when we go to church. But that also reminds me of the fact that I think there is an extra level of resistance to uh, Christians 
bringing their Christian faith <laughs> Uh, into all kinds of areas hmm. because of mistakes and sins that Christians have fallen into in the past. Oh, so true. And it's not only Christianity, but it's other religions feeling we have to to propagate, because our religion is true, then we have to propagate our religion using, among other things, uh, the power of the state to, to do it. Yes. And I believe that's a misunderstanding of how Christ rules over state and church and other areas of life, like uh, business and education, that his, his requirements for uh, what the state should do are different from his requirements for what the church should do, but still there are requirements. And even non-Christians, though they won't admit it, they're subject to their creatures of God. They're under the universal rule of Christ. They have obligations. They won't admit it. Uh, but a Christian, because of the way in which Christian faith has been coerced on people uh, using the power of the state in the past, we have to be very clear of saying we believe in religious liberty in the sense that the state is not to compel people in religion. Oh, that is so true. I'm glad you brought that out. Uh, today we're talking with Dr. Vern Poitras, and he's written a book on the Lordship of Christ. And, um, yeah, that's so important, Dr. Poitras. Suppose a person becomes a Christian, and he's trained, and he starts to learn the things of God, and he happens to be in civil service. Uh, the point here is that um, you don't, quote, bring in the kingdom by political means, um, but there's something else at work. Uh, there's something else at work that our case in point would, would appreciate, and that is the Great Commission. And as men and women, boys and girls, are brought to faith in Jesus Christ, something changes in their heart. Uh, we're born again of the Spirit of God. We want, as you pointed out originally in the conversation, we want to start obeying God. And so we desire to know what what his standards are, and, and we live that out. And yet, like you pointed out also with Kuiper, um, he had a concept of sphere sovereignty. You don't have the state trying to ram religion down the throat of the people, but this is more of an organic development yeah, and uh, the Old Testament Israelite kingdom was unique in the whole history of the world because it was a holy community. Uh, there's nothing like that now except the church, and uh, we don't. The church doesn't have the power of the sword. No, uh, we don't. If people are violate the lordship of Christ, who are members of the church, then we urge them to repent. <laughs> we use spiritual weapons. And if they're committing crimes, then the state has the obligation to deal with the, that side of it, right? But if for the Christian, the issue, and in the Church, the issue is, will you repent? We all fall into sin from time to time. That doesn't exclude you from the community of God's people, but it's the issue of, do you return to Christ, do you repent, and do you uh, restore uh, and Christ restores his relationship to you. So there's that deeply personal element, and that uh, it's unfortunate that it took 
as many centuries as it did for Christians to work out the fact yeah. that, no, you don't use state that Just because your religion is true and you're zealous for the Lordship of Christ, you can't violate that Lordship if he himself has set up the state with separate responsibilities that do not include uh, that element of calling people to to faith through the gospel. And that's the only way, you know, that they'll be saved. State can't do it. Oh, yeah. And, and that's another thing, because a lot of people then who have drifted away from the Christian influence in the past are expecting the state to solve problems which only God and, and the power of <laughs> Christ in the gospel can solve. Yeah. Uh, that... You know, you can't reform human nature. You can't drive out the inner sins. Okay, so you keep people, you try to keep people from committing murder, but if you don't remove the hatred at the heart level, you will never totally eliminate murder. Yeah, that's so true. So the Christian faith is about we, not in ourselves, but through Christ, we're offering you a spiritual power that actually deals with the inner hatred. Nobody else is talking about that kind of thing. Right. They're just trying to have human remedies. This is a fascinating discussion. Um, Christ's reign covers these various areas, or spheres, you could call them. There's other areas. Um, education is a big one. Um, we have a lot of problems right now in our public education and uh, I was reading a handbook from one of the local public schools, and I was kind of shocked how far it's gone. And I don't even have time to get into it. <laughs> but we love to see Christian education uh, where we bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, where we see the lordship of Christ in these various subjects that are, we are teaching the children. And whether that's implemented either homeschooling or classical schooling or some kind of a mix, maybe parents getting together, kind of a cooperative situation. Um, education is important because we're training the future uh, kids in the way they think. Now, we've got maybe two minutes left. Uh, I'd like to just give it to you, Dr. Poitras. Maybe you could wrap up and, and continue talking about your book or whatever you'd like. Yes. Well, I have a chapter on education, as you know. I agree with you. And uh, there's a verse in Second um, Corinthians 10 where the Apostle Paul talks about bringing every thought captive to Christ. Well, that's the one aspect of the universal lordship of Christ. And the thought captive is meaning in education we have to um, be Christ-centered and think through all these areas of academic study in that way. And uh, part of the, my book is to point out that more and more resources are getting to be available that help us to do this kind of thing uh, positively uh, without saying, you know, we've, we're going to make uh, no mistakes, we're going to have no failures or sins. That's going to continue. <laughs> but uh, we have to serve Christ with our heart in the midst of admitting and humility. We're not going to do it perfectly. Yeah. Amen. Well, the book is The Lordship of Christ, Serving Our Savior All the Time, in All of Life, with All of Our Heart. And today we've been talking with its author, Dr. Vern Poitras. He's the professor at Westminster Seminary, 
also an ordained minister of the gospel. Uh, That's the practice that Westminster follows. As they're training pastors, it's pastors training pastors. So that's a wonderful principle. Dr. Poitras, if someone would like to learn more about your book or even contact you, is there a web address or email address that you'd like to give? Well, uh, John Frame, my good friend, and I have a website, frame-poitras.org. And there, uh, there are a bunch of our books and articles that can be downloaded for free. Even this one, although I hope people download and begin to read it, they'll like it so much that they'll buy a copy. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, we want to to be of service to the Christian community. That's why the materials are available for free. Oh, beautiful. Dr. Vern Poitras, thank you very much for joining us today. Well, thank you for inviting me. And dear listener, please join us next week at this same time for another edition of A Plain Answer.